Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 49, Tarentum, part 2. 212 began with civil disturbance in Rome. Rather than operating a system of direct taxation, the Roman government collected revenues by leasing out the right to collect taxes to third parties, who would then give Rome the agreed-upon tax while taking whatever else they rose for themselves. The third parties involved are known as tax farmers. Tax farmers had very low reputations because they took advantage of people. The most famous tax farmer of the Roman world is mentioned in the Bible, the Apostle Matthew, who of course wrote one of the four Gospels. Jesus is criticised by the Pharisees in Mark 2.16 for eating with tax farmers. Some of you may be wondering why I'm opening a podcast about Hannibal and the Second Punic War with biblical passages, but I have an excellent reason. Quite simply, the New Testament is by far the best source available to the Roman social historian. It gives a view of life in the Roman world from the bottom looking up. Considering how much our sources are dominated by the top social strata, this is an invaluable source. In this particular instance, it makes clear the extent that tax farmers had bad reputations. So, with this in mind, we go into events in 212. Some tax farmers had been taking advantage of all the chaos to increase their profits, claiming for shipwrecks with valuable cargoes, while in reality they had gotten an old ship and filled it with rubbish. They were about to be called out on it, so they violently broke up an assembly. In the end, a great majority went into exile, but it was a very embarrassing incident for Rome. Nevertheless, they got on with things, as Romans did, and focused on recruiting more soldiers, which was becoming a very difficult task, and they started taking in those below military age, 17, but who could still wield a weapon. Meanwhile, to the south, the long-awaited revolt in Tarentum finally came. Phileas, an ambassador for Tarentum at Rome, felt like he was doing nothing in Rome, just rotting away. So, he gained access to Tarentine and Thurian hostages, gained their trust, and escaped into the night with them. By the next morning, their flight had been discovered, and they were all quickly caught, then executed. News which caused outrage in Tarentum. Thirteen young nobles, led by Nico and Philomenus, began a conspiracy. They both felt the need to talk to Hannibal first, so they snuck out and explained their plan. They were well received by Hannibal, who approved of it, telling them to take back some Carthaginian cattle to make it appear they had been on a raid, something which would be repeated each time they went for an interview. In a second interview, it was agreed that Tarentum would be free with its own laws and not having to pay tribute to Carthage, while Hannibal would have control of the Romans captured. 
Philomenus had a good reputation for hunting, and so he continued making these journeys at night, supposedly not in the day, because of his fear of the Carthaginians. The Carthaginians would always have something for him to take back and give to the guards, so, very quickly, he was able to leave any time he wanted without causing suspicion. Hannibal had been working on his ploy as well. He had been encamped three days' march from Tarentum, which would normally cause suspicion, but he was pretending to be ill, to make his lack of movement seem less odd. But now, it was finally time for action. Hannibal selected 10,000 troops and marched them to Tarentum by night, with a small group of Numidians out in front, killing anyone who would catch sight of the army, and making it appear like it was only a raiding party, not an army, that was on the move. By the next day, Hannibal was camped 15 miles from the city, and was being very secretive, even with his own men. While the Numidians had been sighted, to the Roman commander, this was proof that Hannibal was still in camp. He wouldn't have sent out a small raiding party if his army was on the move. Once night fell, Hannibal was once again on the move, with Philomenus acting as guide. Philomenus went towards his usual gate, while Hannibal was on the other side of the city. Hannibal lit a torch, and Nico, who was waiting for this sign, lit one too. They both put them out as so not to be spotted. Hannibal began his march up to the gate while Nico killed the sleeping sentries and opened the gate. Meanwhile, Philomenus whistled to let the guards know he was there. He told the guards that the beast he had captured was almost too heavy to carry. They brought in a huge boar, which the sentry gaped at when Philomenus stabbed him. A group of thirsty followed him into the city, killing guards. It was not long until the whole Carthaginian force charged into the city, ordering all Tarentines to be spared while the Romans were to be killed. Hannibal and the conspirators had been so successful at keeping this a secret that when the chaos broke out all over the place, no one was able to work out what was happening. The Romans thought they were being attacked by the treacherous Tarentines, while the Tarentines thought the treacherous Romans were plundering their city. In the panic, the Romans fled for the citadel. With dawn came understanding, as all realised what had happened. The Romans recognised Carthaginian and Gallic arms, while the Tarentines saw the Roman dead. It was clear that Hannibal had taken the city. Hannibal ordered the Tarentines to gather in the public square, and was quite pleasant to them. He reminded them of the prisoners he had let return, and basically told them he meant them no harm. They would not be punished or plundered, so long as they wrote their names over their doors. This was so only the Tarentines, who had joined the Romans in the citadel, would be plundered. The Tarentines were also ordered not to write the names above the houses the Romans had been living in. If they did, they would be considered an enemy.
the townspeople were dismissed, and Hannibal was true to his word. The next day, he tried to take the citadel, but soon realised he couldn't hope to take it by assault or by siege works. It was against the seaside of the town, and was defended by huge cliffs against the sea and by huge walls against the city. So, if he couldn't attack it, just what could he do? If he left then, the sizeable Roman force would attack the Tarentines, and all his work would be for naught. But he couldn't just stay in Tarentum, he had a war to fight. Hannibal had an excellent solution. He would build earthworks between the citadel and the rest of the city, hoping that this would draw the Romans out. Hopefully, he could inflict enough damage to them that the Tarentines would be able to defend themselves without the need for a large garrison. This is pretty much what happened. Construction began, the Romans charged out, the Carthaginians dropped back to draw the Romans in, and then the Carthaginians struck, killing a great deal of the Romans. And the construction was completed without further incident. The Romans were now trapped, and Hannibal had further plans to build a stone wall as well, so the Tarentines wouldn't need any Carthaginian help. But he did leave a small garrison to help with construction, and then moved his force out of the city, to set up camp five miles away. Hannibal visited the city, and was delighted with how quickly the stone wall was constructed, and he began to hope that he could take the citadel. Its main defence was its walls, not that it was placed on high ground. To Hannibal, this meant that it was takeable. As he began to organise an assault, the Romans received reinforcements from the nearby city of Megapontum, and began to feel more confident. They launched a raid, and managed to damage some Carthaginian equipment. This was enough to put Hannibal off from taking the citadel for the moment, and he was left with the possibility of a siege. You see, the citadel was on a small peninsula on the sea side of the town, and so had access to supplies from the sea, while the rest of the city had no sea access, making the citadel easier to supply than the rest of the city. This would make life harder for the besiegers than the besieged, not something Hannibal wanted. He called the Tarentines to a meeting, and told them about these problems. The only way to effectively take Tarentum would be with ships. The Tarentines said, Yes, that makes sense, but just what are you going to do about it? Shouldn't you be sending Carthaginian ships from Sicily, or something? Hannibal said they would, but Tarentum was nice and flat, so they could just use the Tarentine ships carry them across the town, and place them in the water. Then they could completely besiege the Romans, and the citadel would soon be theirs. The Tarentines eagerly set to work moving ships. With these things in place, Hannibal returned to his winter camp. This creates some confusion about when the capture of Tarentum happened, either late 213 or early 212, which I'm not going to be able to solve. 
One thing I am able to point out, and something I hope you're all thinking, is that why was Hannibal so eager to use Tarentine ships rather than Carthaginian? The answer, of course, being lack of Carthaginian ships, because Carthage did not build ships. That is it for the narrative this week, but don't tune out just yet. I want to end this week with a few programming notices. Firstly, I'd like to apologise for the short episode this week. It is my birthday on Monday the 29th, so this weekend has been quite hectic. While I like to spend my Saturday afternoons with the radio on, writing, unfortunately, this would make me quite a lousy host. So the show has been a bit short this week. Secondly, for some while, I haven't had the radio on when writing because the British football season finished back in May. Boo. But it is about to start again in a few weeks. I know, it's awesome. When I'm not working on the show, I'm spending a lot of my time thinking about the new season, which has given me an idea. I'm setting up a history podcast, Fantasy Football League. If you think you know football better than me, hey, now is your chance to prove it and get involved with the History Podcasting community, which is already really active on the History Podcasts Facebook group. If you're interested, head over to fantasy.premierleague.com, sign up, and create your team. Then, because this is a private league, contact me somehow, you know all the ways, and I'll give you the code. Over the next ten months or so, you can battle it out against me listeners, and other podcasters. I'm very happy that friend of the show, Peter Adamson, from the History of Philosophy podcast, has joined up, though he, and pretty much anyone who has registered any interest in this, appears to be much better at it than me. But, as a Man City fan, experience should have taught me to expect this. So, should you win? As I'm quite sure I won't, there will be some prize. Most likely, that prize will just be honour, but I should be able to think of something good by next May. That website again, fantasy.premierleague.com Thirdly, I have done something I should have done a long time ago, and bought a domain. From now on, if you want to visit the website, go to thehistoryofpodcast.com It's still the same website, and the blogspot link will still work, but should you ever want to check it out, there is now a shorter link. Thehistoryofpodcast.com Finally, I'd just like to say that my Arab Spring podcast, which I've mentioned a few times, received a very nice review in Saturday's Daily Telegraph. So, thank you, people at The Telegraph. And if you haven't listened to the Arab Spring... A history, yet, you probably should. 